You know, the title of the sermon today is Lessons from a Turkey Farmer. Now, how this all transpired is kind of strange because uh, when Scott asked me to preach this Sunday, I said, you know, Scott, um, I've, I've used over the years, and when I preach uh, the last 35 years, occasionally I'll use an illustration from when I was a turkey farmer back in Iowa. I said, would you mind if I did a whole sermon on just lessons that I've learned through the turkeys over the last, or this, this message? And he said, yeah, sounds cool. He said, if you even want to bring a live turkey on the stage, help yourself. And I said, no, thanks. I won't do that. But uh, back in 1971, um, by the way, I, I just thought this was clever, so I wanted to share that with you this morning. <laughs> Uh, back in 1971, I, I recently graduated from uh, Trinity University in Chicago, and I moved out to my wife's hometown in Chiron, Iowa, a t- budding metropolis of 250. And uh, it's farm country, and this is a picture of us back almost 50 years ago. And now my daughter's just turned 47. So um, anyways, I just thought you might be interested in how ridiculous I looked back then. And... Um, <laughs> But uh, I taught school in Iowa for two years, and during that period of time, uh, I got frustrated with the teaching profession, and I had a student in my classroom who suggested that I might check with her dad about being a turkey farmer, because he had been a turkey farmer for a number of years. So I looked into it, started doing chores with it. I kind of enjoyed it, and I got myself involved in raising about 50,000 turkeys. And we did that for two years, and during those two years, all kinds of interesting lessons were learned, and I began to use those lessons and find biblical illustrations and applications to those lessons, and so this morning, you're going to get a taste of six different sermons all in one. So, uh, you know, if you're here until two o'clock, don't worry about it. Uh, No, I, I won't be that long, but I'm going to just share with you these lessons. We got these turkeys uh, on the farm when they were a day old, and this is how they looked. They were just little fluff balls of yellow, and they would come delivered in a big in a van, a regular-sized van, in boxes of 100. There'd be 25 in these four stations in these two-foot-by-two-foot two boxes, and we would take them out of the van, and we'd take them into the barn where we had a whole bunch of brooder stoves, and we would dump those 100 turkeys underneath these stoves so they would be nice and warm, and take care of themselves. And so after we unloaded maybe 10,000 of these, um, I would sleep with these turkeys for at least two or three nights in a row. Why did I need to sleep with the turkeys? You know, some people sleep with the fish. I slept with turkeys, okay? I would have to get up every hour and check and make sure that, number one, that they were brooding properly around the stoves, and two, that they were eating. Because turkeys will survive from the egg to a certain point where they absorb the nutrients inside the eggshell for only five days. And after five days, they call them starve-out periods, and turkeys die. So consequently, if we were to order a flock of 10,000, we would get 11,000 delivered so that we knew that at least 1,000 were going to die in the first five days. And so my job was to try and somehow coax these little babies to get something to eat, because if they could eat, they would survive. If not, they would starve out and die. You say, what kind of a lesson can we learn from that? Well, lesson one is this. You will never grow to maturity unless you learn how to train yourself with solid food. What I'm saying here is, is that there are a lot of Christians today who the only feeding they get is Sunday morning. You come Sunday morning and consequently the average regular attender only comes to church probably two, perhaps Sundays a month. Now, think about this for a minute. 
This is where you get some spiritual feeding, right? And you come here on a Sunday morning and you get spoon-fed. And then you go through an entire week without feeding yourself. And so what happens is, I think there's a lot of Christians today in the church that are starving to death because they don't know how to feed themselves. And so we've got all these anorexic Christians running around thinking that they're getting enough just on Sunday morning. There's a great scripture in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. It says this, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. See, the writer of Hebrews was complaining that these people were not growing and developing on their spiritual journey. And he says, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. He said, you're staying ignorant to the point that you're really not growing and becoming more like Jesus on a day-to-day basis. He said, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained, what? Themselves. They've trained themselves to distinguish good and evil. Folks, we cannot survive spiritually and be more like Jesus unless we are learning how to feed ourselves during the week. What does that look like? Well, maybe some of you need to think about getting a study Bible where you have a lot of help so that you can actually get into God's Word on your own and just learn for yourself. Perhaps it's maybe listening to to audio scripture when you're driving to work. Maybe it's getting involved in a community group, listening more to Christian radio and picking up sermons there. Somehow we need to figure out how to feed ourselves or we're going to stay anorexic for the rest of our spiritual lives. In fact, if you don't really hunger for God's word and to grow and be more like Jesus, I really question whether you have a real faith or not. Well, that's being a little bit hard on you this morning, but I think it's really important for us to realize that we need to learn how to feed ourselves. I mean, think about it. Some of, some of you are my age. Can you imagine somebody still, you still sitting in a high chair and, and somebody coming up to you with a spoon and saying, come on, you can do it. You know, open up your mouth, open up your mouth. And that's kind of how we are sometimes. I hope it motivates you to think about how can I learn how to feed myself so that I'm not in a starve-out period in my spiritual life. Here's lesson number two. These turkeys would come in these small little fluff balls, and if they survive those five days of starve-out, what we would have to do then is debeak them. And you can see this little bird here is debeaked. And why do we debeak turkeys? Well, Because when they live together in a large group, they have a tendency to peck each other. And when they peck each other, they ruin the grade of the bird so that when they go to market, there's all these wounds and scars that are on the turkeys that don't follow grade. So what we do is each one of these turkeys, I would get them after they were five days, and I would throw them all in a big box, and one by one, I would snip their beaks with a little toenail clippers. And it didn't really hurt them. It hurt me more than hurt them because I had to do 10,000 of them. One by one, picking them up, clipping their beaks to make sure that they were okay and that they wouldn't pick on each other or peck on each other. Well, what lesson can we learn from that? Well, lesson two is this. The only thing that should come out of our mouth should be the building up of one another. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their deeds, that it may benefit those who listen. Friends, some of us need to be debeaked. I'm serious. 
Our mouths get us in more trouble than anything else. In fact, Scripture says in the book of James, remember he said, nobody can tame the tongue. You can put a bridle in a horse's mouth, you can put a rudder on a ship and steer that ship, but you can't tame the tongue. It's like a restless fire full of poison. And I'll tell you, if there's a lesson here to be learned for me, it's this one. Because God's obviously given me some sort of gift in the able to speak and to use my, the words to really encourage and challenge people. But on the other hand, sometimes Satan loves to use my greatest strength for my greatest weakness. You know anybody like that? What are the, what are the, the abuses of the tongue that happen on a day-to-day basis? Well, you could go on and make a list. I made just one small list. We know that gossip is wrong when we're starting to tell something about somebody else that's not true, perhaps. Lying, being critical. Anybody have a critical tongue? Swearing, that seems to be in vogue these days amongst Christians. How about backbiting? Maybe exaggerating, is that your issue? You start telling a story and you start embellishing it to a point to get more greater attention and a better rise out of people. How about angry outbursts where you, you get frustrated and you get ticked off and bam, you lay a barrage of words on somebody that hurts and stings? How about judging? Are you, are you a judgmental person or are you complaining all the time, whining all the time, sarcasm, cynicism? The list can go on and on and on. We need to, to really take a strong look at our tongue And maybe we need to be debeaked in that area of our life. Well, let's look at the third lesson this morning. After they start growing, we discover that there's oftentimes uh, ones that are a little deformed or, or look a little bit sick. And so one of my chores was every morning when I would go see, uh, visit my turkey friends, I would walk through the flock and I would pull out turkeys that looked a little bit sick or were a little bit deformed. Because in, a, in, a, in the turkey realm, the contagious disease can spread like wildfire very easily. And so what we would do is we would make sure and check which ones were not doing well, and we would separate them and put them in a separate pen and keep an eye on them because we didn't want that turkey to contaminate the rest of the flock. So what lesson did I learn out of that? Our sin can have a negative, contagious impact on others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch? In the context of that particular scripture, you remember that there was a man in the church who was having an immoral relationship, an incestuous relationship, and the church refused to really deal with the issue. And that sin was, was corrupting the entire church. And just like the turkeys, in fact, that particular year that, I was ta- that, I, that we were separating turkeys out, it got to be a really disastrous year because we did have a problem with disease. It was called erysaculitis. It was like a bird pneumonia. And we lost over 3,000 birds that year because it was so contagious. And, and the lesson that I felt like I needed to learn here and that we need to learn is that sometimes we think that our sin doesn't affect anybody. It's our little secret. It's our little secret sin. Nobody knows about it. It's my little closet sin. And if I keep it undercover, it's only really affecting me. It's not really bothering anybody else. But in reality, you know better than that. Because the people around you, the people that you love, the people that you're rubbing shoulders with every day, you're not fooling anybody. And it's really important, I think, when we see that going on in our lives, that we eradicate that, we separate that out and identify what it is and deal with it in a very effective way 
way so that we keep from causing sin to be contagious in the rest of the flock. So lesson number three, our sin can have a negative, contagious impact on others. Somehow, sometimes I think that we just assume that our sin doesn't affect anybody else, but it does. We know better than that. You probably grew up in a household, some of you, where you had a father or a mother that was a hypocrite. And their sin, you knew what it was, and they never really talked about it, but you knew it was there. And it had an impact on your life just as much as it had an impact on other people's lives. Well, here's the fourth lesson that I've learned. During the process of growing turkeys, which was about a three and a half month process, we uh, dealt with primarily turkey hens. Uh, we didn't deal with turkey toms, which are male turkeys. That's why my parents named me Tom. So um, we, we would uh, take the turkeys out in the range because uh, you know today that even non-caged chickens and so forth, they usually bring a better grade and they're much more organic. So we would take the turkeys out and onto a range, put a fence around them, and, and bring them outdoors so that they could have some fresh air. The problem is that is that they were very subject to storms, obviously, and they were very subject to predators. In fact, we had one problem for a while. Uh, we had an owl that was causing wreaking havoc with our flock. And owls, just for sport, would fly down, land on the back of a turkey, chop their heads off, and then fly back to their perch. And every morning, I would pick up maybe 15 or 20 turkeys with their head chopped off. And that was what an owl would do. Sometimes it was a badger that would come into the flock and, and, uh, and really get after the flock. And so what I'm saying here is that when they were outdoors, they were a lot more vulnerable to predators, and we also had storms. In fact, we would have uh, rainstorms, obviously, and this is back in Iowa, where sometimes there would be tornado warnings, and guess who would have to be out with the flock during that period of time? It was me out there with the turkeys when it was pouring rain, and these dumb birds would not go under the shelters. They would stay out and just look up at the rain and drown themselves in their own mud and manure. And so when the storms would come and the rains would come, I would be on my hands and knees literally pushing these dumb birds underneath the shelter. It was a dirty, rotten, crummy job. And then I thought, what illustration is that for us? How does that work? Well, the lesson here is that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And you say, what are you talking about? Have you ever noticed how dumb we can be sometimes? When storms come, how we're so uh, uh, susceptible to the predators in our culture, and we make stupid decisions, and the Lord's saying, look, you're out from under my shelter. And the Lord loves us enough to get down on his knees, and he actually did that, remember, before he went to the cross? He had that priestly prayer and literally was on his knees for us, praying for us trying to shove us back under the shelter of his wings. And sometimes I think that we're all a bunch of dumb turkeys, that we think we can go out there in the world and survive on our own, we can do our own thing, and we're so dumb, and the Lord's standing back and saying, why are you so stubborn and staying out in this when I'm here to love you and protect you and to guide you through life? I remember that same year, we had a tornado actually come through, and it looked like it was a battlefield. We actually ended up 
having to use a front-end loader and a tractor to pick up all of the lost turkeys that year that we had lost during that storm. But I want to go back and remind you again that we're a lot like that. The verse that I want to share with you in that regard is this. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Knowing all things, we were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And there are days, friends, when we are wallowing in our own mud and praise God that we have a Jesus who loves us enough to shove us back under his his shelter. Amen? Well, lesson number five. Oh, this is a strange one. Bear with me. Um, I referred back to that flock that we had sickness go through, and there were over 3,000 that we lost. And we didn't know what to do with all these dead birds. And so one day, uh, my partner came to me and he said, Tom, I think the best thing we can do, let's throw them out into the field. About 160 acres that were there. And he said, what we'll do is we'll throw them out there, they'll deteriorate, and they'll be great fertilizer, and then in the spring, we'll disc them in. He said it'd be a, a, a great, great way to handle it. So I said, okay, sounds good. So I loaded all these turkeys up over the few months that we lost them and just spread them out all over this 160 acres. Well, unfortunately, that winter, we had an early frost. And when springtime came, those turkeys had not deteriorated one bit. And so my partner came to me one day and he said, "Um, I think you need to go pick them all up. (laughs) So I got in my pickup, I went out in the field, and one by one, threw all these dead turkeys back into the truck. The strange thing was, though, the first few turkeys I threw in the truck, they'd hit the bottom of the bed, and I heard this noise. I thought, what's that noise? And then I took another one. I threw it in the truck, and there was another noise. And it was like this. Threw it in the truck. I'm thinking, what's going on? Well, well, there was still air inside the bird, and so when it hit the bottom of the truck, it let out this noise. I thought, this is creepy, you know? These birds are still alive. Okay, now you're all laughing. What's the lesson? Here's the lesson. There are those who claim to be Christians, but in reality are not. You see, there's a lot of Christians out there who call themselves Christians who are making all the right noises. You know? Oh, they got the vocabulary down. They sound like they're alive, but they're not. I, I, I work with deputies, as you know, and detention officers throughout the week. That's the ministry that I have. And I challenge the guys once in a while and they say, hey, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? Well, yeah. So what are you banking on? It says, well, you know, it's usually a good works thing or whatever. But it says, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. And so they're making the noises. And only God knows their heart. But Scripture is very clear. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, there was a church in Sardis. And it says this, the angel of the church in Sardis says this, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds, you have a reputation for being alive, but what? You're dead. 
We also know in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There may be people sitting here this morning that make the right noises, but in reality, you're really not doing the will of the Father. You're not feeding yourself. You're not growing. You're not on this journey to be more like Christ. You supposedly have your fire insurance and you're going to heaven someday, but in reality, I wonder if Jesus will stand before you when you stand before him and he's going to say, I don't even know who you are. Are you one of those Christians that make the right noises, but in reality, you're just as dead as the guy next door? I believe there's a lot of people who are kidding themselves. Think they have their fire insurance, but in reality, they're making the right noises, but they're dead. You remember what, what uh, Jesus said, that there are people that will prophesy in my name and even cast out demons and do miracles, and they're going to stand before God. I don't even know who you guys are. I don't, I don't, I don't get you. That's a tough one. Well, there's obviously, you know, in our journey of raising turkeys, it, it, it was a 24-7 thing, seven days a week. I had to sleep with them. I had to nurture them. I had to crawl on my hands and knees when they were stupid. But I'll tell you what, it was a great day when they went to market. It was a great day. And I was so grateful when I saw that semi pull out because they came in a van and they went out in three semi-loads and when they were finishing up at 13 and 14 pounds, they were eating six tons of feet a week. It's amazing. You know, when somebody says, you eat like a bird, don't worry about that. <laughs> and that winter flock that we lost so many birds in, it was just a rough, rough one, rough time. And when it came time to send them to market, just to cap off that entire winter flock, we had a blizzard the day that we were sending the turkeys to market. Now, if you've ever tried to herd a bunch of turkeys, it's like herding sheep. It's worse. They are so dumb. And when you're actually out in the, in the field and a, tr a truck can pull right up to a chute, you can kind of at least kind of gather them in and scare them into the chute and they get on a conveyor and we can get them up into the semis. This day, it was a blizzard. And the trucks could only get so close to the barn. In fact, when the semis backed in, they got stuck. They, they couldn't even get out. We had to end up pulling them out with a tractor. But that day, there was no way to, to load those other than one by one, 14 pounds, lifting them up onto the semi, and they put each one in separately, one by one. It took almost all day to load all those turkeys, but boy, was it fun when they drove off. I was so grateful Gratitude is something really important, and that's why we do celebrate Thanksgiving. And I am so grateful that I can eat. We're celebrating Thanksgiving today. I'm going to eat one of these birds, and I can't wait. I never had a problem. I always had a problem killing any animal, but not a turkey. So I'm just excited about that today. But here's lesson number six. Gratitude is a mindful awareness of the benefits of life. And all the hard work all the hours and days of raising those birds, the benefit was at the end when they were graded well and we made some sort of profit. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. One of the things that I'm so grateful for this past few weeks is that some of you know that about six weeks ago I was diagnosed with an 80% blockage in my carotid. And that was kind of a scary diagnosis for me, potential stroke victim. And uh, it was a very anxious time to wait five weeks to see a surgeon. And when I actually finally got to see the surgeon, we talked about it, and he said, well, we really don't have to do anything. You know, you could wait from year to year and just see if it gets worse. And I said, well, why do I want to wait? He said, okay, well, I guess, you know, let's go ahead and do the surgery. And, and the nurse came in the room to set us an appointment for surgery, and she said, I have an appointment tomorrow morning for you at 5.30. And praise God, I had my surgery, and that blockage is gone, and I'm extremely grateful this Thanksgiving that God has really spared my life. Max Licato really ministered to me during that time through a book called Anxious for Nothing. And there was a section on gratitude there that I thought I'd share with you this morning because I think it really is right on. He says, gratitude is a mindful awareness of the benefits of life. It is the greatest of virtues. Studies have linked the emotion with a variety of positive effects. Grateful people tend to be more empathetic and forgiving of others. People who keep a gratitude journal are more likely to have a positive outlook on life. Grateful individuals demonstrate less envy, materialism, and self-centeredness. Gratitude empowers self-esteem and enhances relationships, quality sleep, and longevity. If it came in a pill form, gratitude would be deemed as a miracle cure. What are you grateful for this morning? I have a lot to be grateful for just with my health. But, you know, my wife and I decided a couple of years ago, um, we got, took this gratitude thing pretty seriously. And so every night before we go to bed, we've done this every night for the last two years, almost two years. She, the first thing we say before we say goodnight to each other is says, what are you thankful for? Give me three things you're thankful for. Now, some nights, you know, you just kind of have to rack your brain and think, what am I thankful for today? And sometimes they're little things or trivial things, and sometimes they're the great things about my surgery or something like that, where you say, man, I'm so thankful that God caught it in time and that we got it rotorooted out and that I'm feeling much better. I mean, those are, those are different. But what's really been helpful is it's a discipline now we do every night for the last two years, and I got to say, I really appreciate it because it forces you to think through those God moments that happen during the day. And it's such a powerful thing to encourage. I want to challenge you to think about becoming a grateful person because we know that the benefits are there. So what are the, some steps that we can take? What are some next steps? Let me give you some ideas this morning. First of all, obviously, there are six lessons here. And... Um, these are really six sermons uh, that I could have preached an entire you know, morning on each one. But I thought it was kind of a smorgasbord today for some of you because I've hopefully that I've not left anybody out on this list of lessons. 
that every one of you can identify with at least one of these. And so what I'd like for you to consider is to contemplate which lesson seems to hit home in your life. Which one has really kind of stimulated you or convicted you this morning to say, what is it in my life, Lord? What lesson do I need to learn? Do I need to grasp? Is it my mouth? Is it to be a self-feeder? Is it to recognize that nothing can separate me from the love of God? And, and, and the only reason why I feel separated from the love of God is because I'm the one that moved, not him. And he's the one that's been on his knees trying to shove me under the shelter, and I've been too stupid to really respond to that. Identify that one thing in your life, that one lesson that perhaps you can learn, and hopefully it'll stick with you because when you use an illustration like the turkeys, you probably won't forget it for a long time. And then secondly, once you've identified that, I want to ask you to consider confessing the issue honestly before God, to be honest with God and say, yes, this is an issue in my life. Stop trying to rationalize it or, or deny it or cover it up and just say, yeah, this is a problem. I have a problem with my tongue. I admit it. I've got problems with, with that. I'm too, too transparent sometimes. I, I, I don't sometimes keep some confidentiality that I need to. I just need to work on that. And it's a daily battle for me because obviously no man can tame the tongue. And I understand that. But by God's grace, it's getting better and better in my life. And it's taking years. But I have to start somewhere to be honest enough with God and honest enough with myself say, yeah, I've got an issue here. So confess that and begin to take some steps toward that. What are some steps to do that? Number three is to be willing to invite accountability with somebody you trust. You know, Pastor Scott's talked about it numerous times that, you know, we can say we're accountable, but unless we invite accountability in our lives, we're not going to get it. And say, yeah, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't, I don't get anything besides Sunday. I, I go from week to week, week. I'm one of those anorexic Christians. I need to start some sort of a discipline in my life to grow closer to God on my own relationship, on my own time, with my own energy, with my own um, initiative. Invite accountability with somebody to trust. And then finally, consider memorizing the scripture that was attached to those lessons that I brought up. I know that, that um, I've consistently looked for scriptures that have to do with the tongue. You get all kinds of them in Proverbs, in Ephesians, the one I quoted there. And when you memorize those scriptures, it really helps to combat the onslaught of those temptations that Satan throws at us. Because when we confront it with truth, we can do a better job of overcoming the issue. Just like Jesus did when he was tempted in the wilderness. He used scripture to combat Satan. We need to memorize those scriptures that initially really uh, affect that particular area of our life. And it really helps energize us to really win the battle. So that's what I would challenge you to do. So friends, those are lessons from a turkey farmer. I only did it for two years and you can probably understand why. After about 50,000 of those, um, uh, it really uh, wore me out after 24-7. And, uh, and then I decided that God was calling me into full-time ministry, so I went from some turkeys to other turkeys. <laughs> so let me, let me pray and let me close in prayer. Let me just take a minute, however, while your heads are bowed and while you're, you've been listening to me, Perhaps it's, it's a moment in your life where you need to just say, you know what, Pastor Tom, you, you nailed me on this one. 
And, and I want to I wanna start making some conscious, disciplined decisions. And the first one is, God, I want to do something to really begin to be a self-feeder. I don't want to be one of those anorexic Christians running around with ignorance. And if that's you this morning, I would encourage you to just confess that right now before God. Just say, God, I need to start on a journey. The new year's coming. I want to take responsibility for my, my spirituality, and I want to take some steps to feed myself. For some of you, it might be your mouth. And you know your mouth has gotten you into trouble a bazillion times, and it just keeps happening over and over and over again. And this morning, you want to just nip it in the bud and say, God, even if you have to discipline me, God, I want to deal with this area of my life. Even worse, there might be somebody in here that are making all the right noises, but deep down in your own heart, if you were really to ask that question, if I were to die tonight, would I go to heaven? You're really not sure. Could I encourage you today to say, Lord Jesus, I love you. I want to do your will. I don't want to just make noises. I want to really do your will. I want to be a follower of yours. I just don't want to talk the talk. I want to walk the walk. If you want to get your act together there, then I trust that you would confess that and you begin that journey. But more than anything, God, this morning, as we've been singing about Jesus all morning, I'm just so thankful and so grateful that you love us and nothing can separate us from that love. That every morning I can look in the mirror and say, yes, you love me, Lord. You love me enough to spare my life just this past few weeks. And you're just our amazing, amazing God. And all the dumb things we do, you're always there for us, being our shelter and protector and provider. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. And thank you for the opportunity to share this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.